This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Hi there, hockey fans, and welcome back to Rotowire's signature NHL hockey pod podcast with Statsman and AJ. Friends, I'm Paul Bruno in Toronto, Ontario, and you can follow me at Statsman22. My co-host is AJ Scholes, who's a great follow at AJ Scholes24, back in the co-host chair in Madison, Wisconsin. Look, uh, listeners, there is no joy in our studios this morning because both our teams were eliminated in the play-in series of games, and we can still make a strong case that both were upset losses in our minds. Uh, and there were plenty of others of those in the first round, though. It was a crazy uh, set of games and maybe even surprises in the uh, round-robin portion. But uh, we expect more of the same in conference quarterfinals that looked to be hotly contested, and we're going to cover those off today. That's just a reminder about how, it's gonna, how hard it's going to be to win the Cup this year, as it is every year. It's the t- most difficult trophy to win, in my estimation. There's been also talk in some circles of an asterisk beside the name of the winning team. I don't subscribe to that notion at all because that winning team will have to still win at least 16 and possibly even an unprecedented 19 games to win the cup. There's no such thing uh, as a cup uh, win with an asterisk in the history of the game, even in the recent strike shortened season, and I don't think there will be one now. AJ, where do you stand on that issue? Well, I mean, Paul, I'll be perfectly blunt. The the take that there should be an asterisk is kind of asinine, if, if I'm being perfectly honest here. Um, you know, there, as you said, you still have to win 16 games, possibly even more. Um, yeah, okay, Edmonton and Chicago wouldn't have made the playoffs under normal circumstances. But at the end of the, the day... Montreal and uh, Chicago. Montreal and Chicago, yeah. At the end of the day, it's up to you know, Pittsburgh and Edmonton to win a freaking game. I mean, that's that's what it comes down to here. And everybody agreed on the format. And so I, I think any suggestion that, um, you know, that there should be some sort of asterisk is just, it's a bad take, honestly. <laughs> yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that assessment, even though our teams both were impacted by that, uh, AJ. Um, in, in terms of other news, uh, last night, Monday night, there was an unprecedented lottery for the teams that lost those play-in series, and both our teams were eligible with an equal chance at 12.5% of landing Alexi Lafreniere, and uh, the winning result shows him going to the New York Rangers in all likelihood with that first-round 
first round, first overall pick. Uh, what's your take on that situation? Well, I think, you know, I, I obviously was hoping for, for a different result. You know, last time there was a uh, unique special lottery. It worked out in Pittsburgh's favor. So I was hoping lightning could strike twice uh, for us here, but uh, it didn't go that way. Now, look, I, I am not suggesting that the Rangers should not take Lafreniere. It's, that is the best choice that they can make. However, when you look at the teams that were in the lottery, they might be the one that maybe, you know, for for a tenth of a second would actually consider it. Because you look at their top six wingers, Pavel Buchnevich, Artemi Panarin, Chris Kreider, their second round or second overall pick last year, Capo Caco, they're kind of set on the wing. Now, you know, I, I again, I'm not actually suggesting it, but would I be shocked if they went instead with Tim Stutzel out of the DEL, who plays more center? Um, and, and is certainly a, a capable player by all rights. And, it, you know, that center position always gets highly valued. So I wouldn't be shocked by it. I don't think it's the right choice. I don't think it's the choice they will make. I'm confident that they will go live with Lafreniere. But maybe they at least take one extra look at Stutzel and then decide we'd be crazy not to take Lafreniere. And AJ, before we get into the review of the round robin and play-in series, why don't you remind our listeners at this critical time of the year how they can get in touch with us? Yeah, of course. You know, if you have questions about, uh, you know, fantasy hockey, DFS hockey, or or just hockey in general, we we love to interact with all of our listeners out there on Twitter. Um, You can follow me at AJ Schultz24. And you can follow Paul the Statsman at Statsman22. All right, partner. We got to review uh, a number of series that took place, including those uh, un- unprecedented round-robin play-in series that determined the seedings of the top four teams. Uh, in the Western section, the Vegas Golden Knights wound up on top with a 3-0 record. Colorado second at 2-0-1-1. Dallas third, 1-2. and and the St. Louis Blues, the defending cup champions, were 0-2-1. Were you uh, impressed by any one team or disappointed by one overall? Or how, what's your take on that, that group of games? Yeah, I mean, obviously a little surprised to see St. Louis come out um, on the bottom with that. You know, I would have expected they had just six goals uh, in those three games. When you get a player like Tarasenko back, I, I certainly would have expected more goals out of them. I think the other surprising thing that came out of that is that Robin Leonard took two of the three play-in games over Marc-Andre Fleury. Now, uh, Fleury didn't practice right at the start of training camp, so it is possible that there's there's something maybe lingering there going on. Um, so at this point, I think we have to expect that Lerner will get the nod tonight for, for game one. Um, you know, not an unfamiliar situation for Marc-Andre Fleury. Uh, certainly not one I, I'm sure he wasn't hoping to be in. But hey, last two times he won the cup, he didn't play in all of the games there. And so at the end of the day, uh, you still get your ring, you still get to lift the cup, and uh, your name is etched on there forever. So I don't think he's complaining too much. Yeah, and a further note on the Vegas situation is they did win the three games outright, and they outscored opponents by a cumulative total of 15 to 10. So high-scoring hockey action when the Knights took the ice in that opening round, and the 15 goals led all of the eight teams in the combined round-robin series. So 
the Vega, vaunted Vegas offense looking like it's not missing a beat at all as they get ready to start the conference quarterfinals. In the eastern side, uh, the cup finalist, Boston Bruins, were at the bottom of the heap too, AJ, and their top line was all but invisible in, in that set of games. They only scored four goals in total in, in, in those games, and I think only one point came from the, perf- the perfection line, so they were far from that. Uh, at the bottom rung and ranking fourth, fourth seeded when at the end of the regulation uh, games that were played before this tournament, they were first overall. So uh, a big fall for them and a much tougher first-around opponent as a result when the serious shooting starts tonight. Uh, in terms of the other results, the Philadelphia Flyers went to the top of the heap with a 3-0 and record. Tampa 2-1 and was second. And Washington, with one win, one loss, and one overtime loss, was third. Uh, your impressions on the, this set of games, partner? Well, I think what's most impressive to me is, you know, the Flyers uh, go, you know, 11 goals fourth, just three against. Uh, Carter Hart took two of the games. Brian Elliott took the other one. But what's most surprising is when I list their top three scorers from those games, you've got Scott Lawton, Kevin Hayes, and Nicholas Abeku. Um, you know, the fact of the matter is they didn't really get much in terms of production from Couturier um, and and uh, Giroux. You know, Giroux didn't have any points. Couturier didn't have a gold to, to assist there. Um, Konechny had, had two assists as well. So didn't get production really from their, their top line. Still managed to win all three games to with solid defense and, and top goaltending. So that's a dangerous team if they're if they're you know top guys produce. You mentioned that Boston, their first line was absent and they lost all three games. That shows you how dependent they are on that group. It's clearly not the case in Philadelphia, and and they may, uh, much to my chagrin, make a, a deep run at this thing. And uh, that's that's an interesting take, AJ, and one that sh- people should be cognizant of the fact that you get on a bit of a roll early on and it can continue but i wonder about the teams that were at the bottom of the heap in both sections can those teams st louis and boston simply turn on a switch well that remains to be seen and and uh, really there they get they drew tougher opponents in the first round uh, than they would otherwise have and i really maintain my position that those teams should have all taken this this play in and round robin much more seriously than some of them appear to have done so uh that flip switching thing is going to be something i'm going to be able to be interested in watching to see how those bottom teams in in these round robins fare in the opening round and will they rue the day that they took it uh, maybe took it soft so uh, something to watch for another extra to watch for as we get started here but before we go forward let's look back aj and uh, look at the series the play-in series the best of fives that took place in the Western Conference, all of them went four games. Uh, that was a bit of an oddity. In the, in the Eastern Conference, there was a, a sweep and, a, and one that went five games, but all of them went four in this round. And a couple of upsets along the way, in my estimation, beginning with a shocker, uh, the 12th-seeded Chicago Blackhawks over the Edmonton Oilers in four games. And I made the point right off the hop that Jonathan Taves took this very seriously. Uh, small note for some, but maybe more significant for others when you consider he was all dressed up in a suit aj before the first game when players were encouraged to wear whatever they liked there was not going to be any standard about a suit and tie but he took it very seriously captain serious is the nickname that goes by him and i think it was a key bit of leadership that he showed that hey i'm ready to play i mean business and boy did he start off uh, like a house on fire he picked up four points 
in the, in the three games played and uh, led this team to a shocking upset. Yeah, I, I mean, the biggest thing with this one, and, and I don't think we were surprised by it necessarily, is there wasn't a whole lot of goaltending uh, you know, <laughs> being displayed here. A lot of goals um, from both sides and, and really a couple of shootout games. Now, a, a blast to watch, obviously. Um, so, you know, that, that part of it was obviously nice. So, um, but yeah, it, it was definitely a bit of a, a surprise, obviously, to see them come out on, on top here. Um, but certainly... Um, they, they, to your point, they really took it serious and they got production out of, you know, some guys that maybe, uh, you know, their names aren't quite as well known outside of the Windy City and guys like, uh, you know, Doc, uh, got four, uh, four points in that series. Olimata chipping in two goals and two assists. I, I don't know the last time he had that much production in four games. Um, so yeah, really um, getting it from from all kinds of places, and that's what you need. I mean, it's what I talked about with Philadelphia. So uh, we got Arizona takes a three-one series win over Nashville. Um, for me, what was most perhaps surprising out of that one is the fact that they went um, with UC Saros the whole way in, in Nashville. I'm a little surprised that Pekka Rene didn't even get you know a, a kick at the can there uh, in terms of of his opportunities. Darcy Kemper. Uh, you know, was able to pull off. He played in those back-to-back games when uh, uh, Ranta, I, I think it sounded like they were going to give Ranta that, that second game. It would have been game three, I believe. Um, but he got hurt. Uh, it sounds like in warm-ups, perhaps. He, he took a puck uh, to the head, uh, the, to the helmet, but uh, during warm-ups and then later in that game had to drop out. So Darcy Kemper really uh, put up some some great numbers here. And the Nashville offense just couldn't figure anything out. And then, of course, you know, on the other side, you got Phil Kessel, Taylor Hall, both guys uh, seemingly, you know, on their games right now and, and producing. So they're another, you know, there are no easy matchups, but Arizona is maybe one of the teams here that I would least want to face with how well uh, their top guys are playing right now. Yeah, they really got balanced scoring. You mentioned Kessel and Hall doing their bit. Clayton Keller. Christian Dvorak, Michael Grabner each had two goals in that set, so the scoring was spread out, and uh, the goaltending was solid, as you su- suggest. So that that defense for me, uh, for Arizona, turns out to be one of the deeper offensive-minded uh, groups. Oliver, Oliver Ekman Larson with four points. Jordan Osterley picked up a pair of points as well. But uh, they have some depth and some veterans in that mix, too, that can play the defensive side of the puck in Demers and Jalmerson. So I, I agree with you. I think this is a very dangerous team going forward. In the third set, an all-Canadian matchup, Calgary and Winnipeg, uh, the, the Flames won the series three games to one. And for me, it turned when Mark Shifley got hurt, Patrick Liney got hurt. So that's two big shooters missing from the Winnipeg lineup after the second game. And uh, it was it was more than enough uh, of an advantage that slipped over to the Calgary side that swayed things for me, AJ, uh, a telling sign there. And also in the Nets, it was a bit of a telling sign that Cam Talbot got the starting nod. I was surprised by that. I thought it was Dave Riddich's net to lose, but uh, Talbot took it and ran with it and performed very well. Yeah, I mean, let, let's be honest. Af- after game one, when you lose Patrick Laine and Mark Shifley, this series was pretty much over. Um, I know they fought back and, and at least got one of those games, but I, I don't think anybody really expected Winnipeg to come out on top after losing, you know, those those two big guys. You know, the thing about Talbot is you look at his 
you know, his numbers the last couple of years have been tough, but he played for Edmund and the Edmonton Oilers back in 2016, 17. He played in 73 games that year, had 42 wins, a 2.39 goals against average, seven shutouts. I mean, this guy had one of, you know, arguably one of the best seasons uh, in recent memory for, for a netminder. He followed that up with 31 wins the year after that. His goals against average creeped up a little bit. And then things started to, to fall apart a little bit for him there. But, you know, I, I think this is a guy that still has something in the tank. And he just needed another opportunity to kind of prove what he had. The, his regular season this year certainly didn't do it. You know, 12, 10 and 1 in, in 26 appearances during the regular season. But obviously, the coaching staff saw something. And the fact of the matter is, in, in game four, when they had the opportunity to shut it down, he posts 31 saves in a shutout performance. I mean, Cam Talbot has looked phenomenal throughout this series. And, and honestly, I, I know he was not facing the, the same kind of level of uh, scoring that Winnipeg normally can. But I would argue that Talbot outplayed Connor Hellubuck in this series um, overall. You know, our last Western Conference, you had Vancouver getting the win over Minnesota. This is probably the one... Uh, at least in my opinion, that maybe was the least surprising from these. You know, I thought maybe Winnipeg, assuming they hadn't gotten hurt, would compete more. Uh, I thought Nashville potentially would win, and obviously all, almost all of us were on Edmonton, but I think Vancouver over Minnesota 3-1 shouldn't have been a shock to anybody. That Minnesota group um, was fringe playoff to begin with. They sold at, you know, leading into the deadline with getting rid of uh, Jason Zucker, and so I, I don't think anybody was really surprised by this one. Uh, Eric Stahl seemed to turn back the clock for a little bit with, with five points in those four games, but it just wasn't enough. And the net mining wasn't good enough either, which uh, coincidentally, you know, a couple days later, they fire their goalie coach there. So it tells you what, what the new GM, Bill Gurian, thinks about, uh, you know, the performance of the netminders in that series. Yeah, and the surprise element there, Alex Stalock was the goalie of record for Minnesota in that set. Something of a surprise to me, but he performed better than his partner and earned the earned the nod there. On the on the other side of it, though, uh, the the Canucks they got really good scoring balance in this set, AJ, and a lot of it came from the defense core too. Quinn Hughes leading all scorers in this set with six points overall chris tanev with four uh, elias Pettersson and bo horvat the one two punch at center uh, certainly asserted themselves with four points each and that for me is a telling sign because the one two punch there up the middle was more than uh, than what minnesota could do to offset them the goal scoring in total was only 12 to 10 uh, in favor of the winning side here vancouver so it was close uh, close games but the canucks didn't didn't blow their advantage that I saw at the beginning of the series. More name name recognition talent up front, and uh, the likes of Tanner Pearson, who has some experience in the postseason, and J.T. Miller were also factors with three points. So again, this is a team that had scoring spread out, uh, top to bottom, and in the two line top two lines particularly. And you need that offense to advance, uh, and that variety in the offense to advance, and they did so. They they rode the coattails of of strong goaltending there. Jacob Markstrom continuing to make a case for being one of the top 10 goalies in the NHL did his part as well. So uh, a good all-around win for the Vancouver Canucks to advance to the next round. 
Now we go to the more painful section of this, AJ, when we have to <laughs> review our team's fortunes in the first round. And we'll begin with the Columbus Blue Jackets over the Maple Leafs. This was the only set that went five games in the first round, and uh, it was as wild in terms of momentum shifts as, as any that I can recall in recent memories, where the teams uh, on a game-by-game -game basis, if you lined them all up, there were streaks of five, six, seven goals in a row by each uh, respect, the respective teams. They flip-flopped back and forth, and it was Columbus that had that last three goals in the series, which was the telling margin in a shutout win in Game 5. They opened the series with a shutout, and they closed it with a shutout against one of the league's best offenses. And for me, that's the toughest part to reconcile. When you think of the Leafs and their top four shooters earning $40 million plus, and uh, other than Austin Matthews, the other three guys really didn't distinguish him themselves and that was a series for me well I think the other you know uh kind of disappointing thing for for Leafs fans is you look at how those guys did get the points that they did you know Matthews two of six on the power play Nylander one of four on the power play Marner two of four on the power play Tavares one of three on the power play and so really it shows that there was a bit of a dependence when they did score 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 goals rather <laughs> um, on the power play on the flip side uh, you know if you're a Blue Jackets fan you're obviously concerned that there were no power play points but all of their production came five on five here Cam Atkinson five points Pierre-Luc Dubois four points Nick Foligno three um, and so I think that was part of it and then obviously the goaltending by Jonas Corposalo, uh, obviously a little inconsistent. He was the netminder of record in both of those shutouts, but he obviously got the hook in game three, ended up not even starting game four, but bounces back with that 33 save uh, you know, performance. And I imagine he'll carry the load the rest of the way, but clearly uh, John Tortorella won't be afraid to pull him, even though uh, he's put up some really good numbers here. And then what's your take on the Islanders over Florida, buddy? Yeah, I mean, I think this one uh, fell to exactly what you, you know, would have said. If 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 Florida was going to win this, they were going to need uh, Bobrovsky to put his regular season behind him and come out, you know, swinging here. And he certainly did not. Gave up, uh, you know, 12 goals over the four games. Had you know a pair of games where he gave up four goals. Uh, his save percentage was was subpar at best throughout this series. Um, and, you know, the Islanders don't need a lot to, to win games. If, if you're going to give them, you know, three, four goals on a night, this is a defensively managed team. That's what they prioritize. And so I didn't really anticipate uh, they would require a whole lot in terms of scoring. Um, they did get production, certainly, from their guys there. But I, I think this series went exactly how we thought. It was going to completely depend on what Bobrovsky did, and he just didn't show up like he had all, all season. And and I want to pick up on that point, AJ, because I was making the case that, that the Panthers might want to look at number two, Chris Dreger, their second string goalie, who pl outplayed Bobrovsky from the time he was called up late, late in the regular portion of the schedule uh, by a wide margin. And, and so it was Bobrovsky's reputation and his contract status, uh, the cap hit rather that an experience that earned him the Duke in terms of getting the starting assignment, but I can't believe they didn't stray even for one game to Dreger's side to see if he could continue his regular season level, high level of performance there, and and uh, they paid uh, dearly for that, uh, giving up 
a lot of goals to the Islanders and not really scoring enough themselves. You look at the offense the Islanders generated, uh, they had two players that had three goals, Jean-Cabriel Peugeot and Anthony Beauvillier with three each, Beauvillier leading the scoring with five points overall. Then you had Josh Bailey and... Uh, and Jordan Eberle with a combined seven points, but it was the defense uh, that also chipped in uh, significantly. Ryan Pollock looking really like uh, playing at an all-star caliber level for my mind. He's one of the top defensive defensemen in the league, but also added four points here, as did Devin Taves. So some great performances from the back end there, and uh, the the offense was spread out as Brock Nelson, Matthew Barzell, Jordan Eberle each chipped in with three points apiece. So a good variety in the scoring there helped them gain the advantage and they didn't look back too many times in the series it was one of those that was most most secure in terms of the outcome early on then we come to the one that's painful for you my friend the montreal canadians and it's painful for me quite frankly montreal canadians (laughs) over the pittsburgh penguins in four games I, i can't begin to explain this other than to say carry price did carry price things And he, you know, a hot goalie, they say, can win a series. Well, he's reputedly one of the best goalies in hockey still. I won't argue that at all. And he showed it again here, uh, shutting down the likes of Crosby, Malkin, and and company. Uh, The Penguins' goaltending was decent in this set too, AJ. But uh, what did you see that that really turned the tables in favor of Le Havidon? Well, I mean, the number one thing I I will say, and, and this was never more evident than in Game 4, is I, I don't want to take away anything from Carey Price. When he was called upon to make big saves in this series, he certainly did. But they only put 22 shots on him in a Game 4 must-win, trying-to-stay-alive game. Like, you you probably, at 22 shots, you almost could have just put a Tudor shooter in the net and not had an actual goaltender there and probably still won the game. I mean, it was... Carey Price probably didn't even need to shower after that game because uh, I don't think they worked him enough to to have him even break a sweat. So, look, that game was was bad. He certainly faced plenty of shots early on, especially the overtime game. uh, And really, he had a a great series here. One guy who did not have a great series, Evgeny Melkin, was basically a no-show throughout the series. Chris Letang didn't do much. I mean, they had to rely on those guys, and, and it just wasn't there. And, and it was, uh, you know, as a, as a fan of that team, it was probably one of the most disappointing performances that I've seen out of them in the postseason in, in a long time. I would say this was worse than last year when they got swept by the Islanders. So um, I imagine they're, you know, they, it's the threat every year when you have Jimmy Rutherford on the bench or behind, you know, up in the office. But uh, I would imagine that. Uh, there'll be some significant changes for this club. I would even argue the only, I, I tweeted this out, the only safe players on this team in, in my mind right now are Crosby. Malkin, obviously his regular season was good. The playoffs didn't look good. Gensel, uh, and then I would say John Marino. Those are the four guys that should be 100% certain that they will be back next year. Now, obviously, I think Zucker will be back, of, of course, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if they go full blow up on this thing next next year but that's a discussion for a different day I'll, I'll move on here to carolina getting the three game sweep over the rangers look for me this series came down to the offensive firepower that the the hurricanes were able to put up you got aho with eight points fetchnikov with five uh, they got production from sammy Vatnin, who finally gets to show up in a hurricanes uniform after you know dealing with an injury before the shutdown he had three helpers in this one and 
Um, so they got plenty of production in the top end and solid net binding too. You know, they, uh, they used, um, you know, primarily Peter Mrazek, but James Reimer got a game and he looked perfectly fine in that one, gave up one goal on 38 shots. And, and so they have, you know, kind of a tandem. It'll be interesting to see if they do that again. I, I think the obvious, you know, they're up to nothing in the series and, and going into a back to back. So it made sense to use Reimer here. And I, I would imagine if they find themselves in a similar back to back, they're probably the one team that I don't think will ride the number one here. They'll use both guys, I think, uh, heading into the rest of the postseason. Yeah, AJ, that's a fine point to end this this review of the round robin and the, and the first set of games on the western side, eastern side rather. When we talk about the fact that there's goalie tandems that are out there that we might see both of them playing in the playoffs, this is almost an unprecedented viewpoint. Uh, that we haven't seen too much in the last several years so uh, be, be, uh, we inv- invite our listeners to be aware that it's not automatic that uh, certain goalies will start take a look we looked at the Vegas situation Carolina situation the two that leap to mind but Columbus is also another one so there's three right off the top of my head that could be back and forth for a little bit but uh, with that we are finished with the rear view look and we're going to look forward now to the previews of the conference quarterfinals beginning again on the western side aj a look at the chicago and vegas matchup it's uh, the top seeded knights versus the bottom seeded hawks but uh, we learned from the first round you don't take the chicago team lightly and in the nets Corey crawford a guy who's decorated with a with a Stanley Cup ring or two on his resume uh, is is playing at the top of his game and healthy seemingly, and that's a bad sign for all opponents, in my opinion. Uh, you also we already hinted on the fact that that Robin Leonard looks like he's going to get the starting assignment in Game One as the series starts, but Mark Andre Fleury waiting in the wings undoubtedly will see some action before too long, in my estimation. But uh, this is a more even matchup than than a lot of onlookers will consider when you look at the fact that the Chicago goalie, a veteran, is a guy who's playing at the top of his game and has that cup resume. Well, I, th- I think with the goaltending situation, what's most interesting is you're going to see Corey Crawford potentially going up against the guy that spent most of the season as the number one netminder for Chicago in, in Leonard when, um, you know, when Crawford was hurt. And now he gets traded at the deadline, you know, Chicago selling because they're not going to make the playoffs. And, and now Lerner could really come back to, to bite him in the butt here. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how that all shakes out. Um, what I don't think we'll see at any point is Malcolm Subban or Colin D'Elia. I, I imagine we'll see Crawford the whole way. Um, that may not be the case on the Vegas side in, in terms of the net mining on defense. Um, you know, it's for Chicago, it's it's a couple of, uh, you know, I mentioned off the top, Ole Mata had himself a series and, and turned back the clock. I mean, it's after his last couple of years in, in Pittsburgh, his last year specifically was not very good. Um, this season, I would say middling results with Chicago um, didn't really chip in on the power play at all during the season, something that he had been doing a little bit in Pittsburgh um, and, and really did have himself a series. You know, they'll, he'll still be in their bottom three, and I think that suits him. Big minutes are, are not uh, ideal for his game, so if they can pick and choose the spots where they utilize him. Obviously, up top, it'll be Duncan Keith and Adam Bockwist leading the way, Calvin DeHaan and Connor Murphy on the Vegas side. Uh, you know, a little bit of a different situation. I would say Chicago doesn't have really 
one big guy anymore back in the day obviously Duncan Keith was that guy but um, I think they're kind of all similar levels whereas for the Knights you've got you know kind of Nate Schmidt out in front as their kind of leading player here had two points in the first game one point after that Um, I would expect him to continue to produce um, from that blue line he'll round it out with Braden McNabb Alec Martinez Shea Theodore is the the top group here and then Kind of the one surprise is we saw uh, Zach Whitecloud uh, play in all three of these games. I don't think we necessarily predicted that going into it. He appears to have unseated the veterans John Merrill and Derek England for a spot on that blue line. And he picked up two points in the three games that, that have been played so far. So I, I like the offense that is possible from the defense. We didn't mention Alec Martinez is a, a late addition to this club and a key one that's going to pair with Shea Theodore in that second unit. He has a Stanley Cup ring and a Stanley Cup winning goal on his resume too. So they have a number of scoring options on the back end in in Vegas. Uh, I won't sleep on the, the Duncan Keith analysis without saying he looks as ripped as he ever has been uh, in the past. At a press conference, he showed that off and uh, before the series started and he played like it when when the serious shooting started and led the team in scoring from the back end but they also have some guys that are capable producers in Connor Murphy and Olimata you said uh, an unprecedented stretch for him recently but but uh, you know what I, I think it's it's a solid move to to look at the Chicago defense and say there are scoring options there that are possible and uh, I, I don't I know that I give the advantage to Vegas overall, but uh, Duncan Keith, a healthy Duncan Keith, a motivated Duncan Keith, is just the same value to this team as the goaltender who has the two cup rings. And you can say that about a certain forward at center who is their team leader, AJ. And that's where I want to begin the discussion with the Hawks offense. Jonathan Taves is not known as one of the top scoring centers in hockey. But when the serious in the regular season, but when the serious shooting starts in the playoffs, this guy turns it up a notch, and he did it again in the first round with seven points to lead this offense, and uh, ably supported by his longtime running mate Patrick Kane. These guys have been given an unprecedented chance at a playoff run that has to have ignited these guys, and they both showed it in spades in the in the first group of games. And boy, the the Knights have got a tiger by the tail when you look at the two veterans who are going to lead this offense. But there's a lot of other skill and talent on this roster that started to show itself in Chicago's mix and the likes of Dominic Kubalik, Alex Dabrinkat, these guys are snipers too. Kirby Doc, a young center who has unseated Dylan Strom almost for the second line center role. That's a pretty good depth chart at center when you look at it with Doc and Strom behind Taves. These are two youngsters that figure to be among the, the leaders of the next big Chicago teams for years to come. So I really like the mix up front for the Hawks here, but of course, it's going to pale in comparison when I look at the Vegas Knights' top two lines, AJ. And for me, this six-pack is one of the best and most dynamic in all of hockey, particularly when they can welcome back a healthy Max Pacioretty to the mix. They have flip-flopped the top two centers here all season long. Willie Carlson was always associated, in my mind, with Jonathan Marchessault and Riley Smith, but he's going to open the series. It looks like centering Max Pacioretty and Mark Stone, while Paul Stastny gets the number two role 
role, but beware that uh, they've flip-flopped these guys all season long. So if you're looking at uh, stacking lines and so on, on on your daily FanDuel games, make sure you know which pivot is playing which wi- with which wingers here. But it's always going to be a potent mix with this six-pack. And uh, they've got some supporting scoring in Alex Tuck and Chandler Stevenson that can't be overlooked uh, uh, as well when you look at the depth chart of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, AJ, what's your slant on the goaltending situation here? Yeah, I... Uh, so in terms of the, the forwards, rather, for, for Chicago and Vegas, I, I think you hit the nail on the head with all of those. Um, it'll be interesting to see what we get out of Max Pacioretty having not played in any of the warm-up games. So um, we'll, we'll definitely have to take a look. And, and I imagine it doesn't sound like they're going to limit his minutes or anything like that, but certainly something to watch. Um, you know, For me, um, when it comes down to it for this series, uh, I think I'm going to go with the, the Golden Knights in, in six here. I, I, I think they'll uh, certainly produce at, at a top level. Um, Chicago won't make it easy for them. We saw that in the last round, but I, I imagine Vegas will come out on top when, when the serious shooting wraps up here. All right. Uh, and I'm going to say the Knights are going to take this series. It's going to be a six-game stretch for me, uh, AJ. I don't think it's going to be a, a sweep at all. Um, and, and I think the Knights are going to have their hands full from time to time. But I do think there's just too much depth there at each position that gives them uh, an advantage. And it should play out that way uh, as the season goes on. What about the second round, second set of games here between Arizona and Colorado? We expect uh, the defensive minded Coyotes to have to be at the top of their game to compete against one of the higher octane lineups in Colorado, AJ. Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of the net mining, I, as I said off the top, it's it's going to be Darcy Kemper all the way. Uh, sounds like Andy Ranta might be at least available to, to serve as the number two. But I think at this point, I'd be shocked if we, we see him at any point. Kemper was solid uh, through his, you know, his first games there. I think what's uncertain on the other side, honestly, I, I couldn't tell you who I think is going to start this. Uh, for Colorado between Grubauer and Francouz. And look, Grubauer probably is is the favorite here, but his most recent game was anything but stellar. He gave up four goals on on 26 shots to the the Golden Knights in in an overtime loss and really a a, a pretty subpar performance. Meanwhile, Francouz took the second game of that that series and he... uh, posted a shutout it's, you know 27 saves and a shutout performance and so look i would not be surprised if we find out that that he's going to take game one for colorado here and and certainly something to watch i i don't know honestly which way this will go uh, i won't be shocked either way if i'm manning the bench there uh i think i go with francis like you know the the guy that posted a shutout that's looked the best so far and you know for me it's what have you done for me lately and grubauer like I said, that, that third game was, uh, you know, a bit of a disaster for him, in, in my opinion. Yeah, and it just highlights the fact that uh, some teams are lucky that they have a viable second alternative, A.J. Kemper, obviously going get to the, get the role for Arizona. They're going to ride him as long as they're in the playoffs. But Colorado situation, I think this team could go a long way in the playoffs, but we're going to see a lot of both goalies on that trip, uh, in my opinion. In terms of the depth charts, the Colorado team on the blue line, they have, of course, Kale McCarr, one of the top young defensemen in hockey, and uh, he showed it uh, all season long. 
And uh, Makar will be paired with Ryan Graves, the guy that if you expect a team to go on a, top play, a long playoff run, you're going to look at the other guy if he has any offensive upside. And Graves certainly fits that bill. You can put the second pairing, Mark uh, Samuel Gerard, in that same mix. Eric Johnson is a guy I keep reminding our listeners. This guy was a first-round pick, first overall in his draft year several years ago. But the offensive side of his game is all but evaporated here, so don't overrate him in terms of that scoring prowess. And uh, on the other side, uh, the Arizona team, of course, this is a team that has a wealth of options on the back end, led by Oliver ekman Larson and Alex Goligoski and J- Jacob Chikrin. All three of these guys play the left side of the D, and all three of them have taken turns at, at providing significant offense for the Coyotes all season long. You might even throw Jordan Osterley into the mix here. Then they have the two defensive defensemen on the uh, off, on the right side of the top two pairs in Demers and Jalmerson for one of the better six-packs on defense in these playoffs, I will say, A.J. Yeah, I think, you know, you highlighted all, all the good things about Arizona, and I certainly don't agree don't disagree with you there but um, for me I, I give the edge to this Colorado group look mm. McCarr uh, didn't have a ton in terms of production during during these first three games uh, I believe he just had one uh, one goal zero assists uh, in that stretch Ryan Graves put up the same same numbers there uh, as well and so it, it, you know you mentioned Gerard he had two points with with two helpers there so I, I give the edge to this young up-and-coming kind of Colorado core I I think they'll just outmatch um, Arizona's group you know long term here Uh, as far as our forward compliments uh, again obviously the big names uh, in Colorado you know Nathan McKinnon Miko Rantanen they've been playing around with the left wing on that top line so that's one to keep an eye on right now it's it looks like it's Nemetstikov earlier in the the series it was Burakovsky um, and then the second line is Gabriel Landeskog, Nazem Kadri, and Valeri Nanushkin. Uh, and so, you know, I, I don't know how it's all going to shake out. I will tell you this. If Burakovsky's on the third line like they have him right now, I actually like that third line better for DFS play uh, with Burakovsky there and then Comfier and Donskoy. That's a better third line option for me in terms of stacking than if they flip that and Nemestikov is on that group. So just... You know, my, my two cents uh, for, for DFS contests on that one. For the other side here, in terms of the forwards, uh, Arizona obviously has their, their big guns. And I talked about previously how they have Taylor Hall and Phil Kessel playing on the same line right now. I don't think there's any reason to change that at this point. It's been working for them. Christian Dvorak getting the plum assignment down the middle to play with those guys. Um, from there, you've got Clayton Keller, Derek Stepan, and Connor Garland rounding out your second group. Uh, and the the other one here that's changed a lot is, is their third line as well. Right now, Kraus, Soderberg, and Fisher. That's one I don't really dive into. You know, Carl Soderberg had great numbers in the past, um, but they have kind of dried up offensively lately. So for me, it's going to depend on whether or not and you know Nick Schmaltz gets back at any point here because I think he slots in better as that second line center which allows them to potentially move Derek Stepan back to the third line and gives them a lot more depth so I think they really do need Nick Schmaltz to get back in action if they're going to get past Colorado here and uh, I'll, I'll add to that those comments about the forwards by saying that I'm surprised in one sense that Gabriel Landeskog is not with his usual running mates McKinnon and Ranton on one of the top forward lines that 
played together most of the season, AJ, but Nemesnikov gets that role on the left side, so I think he has some sneaky good DFS value as long as he's playing with McKinnon and Rantanen, but keep an eye on that mix because Land- Landeskog, I think, is going to get some reps on that unit. You mentioned Valerie Nichushkin. He made a case for top six play with some good stretches this season, and the volatile Nazem Kadri is the, the second-line center. We, uh, uh, we in Toronto don't know how many games you're going to get out of this guy in the playoffs because the last two have been shortened by suspension, but he seems to have got his head on straight and playing a much more disciplined game uh, off what I saw in, in the round-robin set and holding down that second-line center role, uh, a plum assignment for him uh, in a top-six role again after playing in a third-line role in Toronto for a couple of years. Burakovsky and John, Donskoy, you highlighted those guys. They were penciled in, almost penned in, as second line wingers uh, most of the season uh, as well AJ but dropping them down to the third line uh, around JT Comfer means for me that Comfer has an, uh, another guy that has a sneaky good DFS play if you're going to stack a cheap line that that could be the unit as you described so uh, some some good value plays here on the Columbus lineup as they stretch the lineup with some of their their uh, roster uh, setup so far uh, on the Arizona side, I love the depth at center on this team, AJ. And the one guy who has that good DFS value for me is Christian Dvorak, as he is the pivot of the two uh, veterans of this offense, Hall and Kessel. So he's the guy that I'm looking at with uh, with uh, the plus sign in terms of DFS value here. Derek Stepan used to be a really good playmaker in his, his time in New York and kind of been overshadowed by by Dvorak at times this season in terms of the center mix, but I still think he has value playing with two youngsters. See, they've kind of gone uh, flip the script here. They've got the veterans in the middle and the youngsters on the wings on the second line, so the mirror image uh, almost, an opposite image rather of what they've done on the first line there, and Soderbergh is good value in terms of depth at the middle center position uh still a good playmaker for my money aj and they're going to see if he can get some some value out of lawson kraus on the left wing that's the guy that i'm looking at as a, a possible surprise uh, value play as well christian fisher is a depth guy on on the right wing and uh, should be in a battle with Vinny Hinestrosa for top nine minutes on in this set two here so uh, with that though I'm going to make my call on this series I'm going to say Colorado in five games I think this is a team that's destined to go a long way in the postseason AJ and uh, I think they've got too many weapons that even if Arizona tries to play their top defensive game they're going to get swarmed by Colorado more often than not I think it's going to be a short series I'm I'm chuckling here because you know we're both on the Golden Knights in six and and we're both on the Abs in five. I I, I think that's the way that this series is going to go. I I have some concerns about the net mining for Colorado, obviously, but this is a team that I think is designed to win. They can win a tight game if they get good net mining, but they're also certainly capable of winning a shootout uh, if they need to. So I, I I agree. I think Colorado in five on this one. And then we take a look at the next series, Calgary versus Dallas. There are four goalies that could suit up in this set. Uh, Probably the most likely series that we're going to see all four goalies play, I'm going to say, because I think this is going to go back and forth, and it could be a long one. I'll tip my hand here as I say that. But looking at the Calgary side, of course, we were surprised by Cam Talbot playing ahead of David Riddich. It looked like Riddich was, was his net to lose. Uh, as the regular season wound down but Cal- Tal- Talbot was given an early opportunity and run with the run with the ball and and looked really really sharp in doing so and maybe closes the gap 
somewhat if he continue to continue that level of play as uh, he's going to be compared against Ben Bishop who uh, has been one of the top goalies in hockey for the last two seasons and finds himself behind a very stout defense in Dallas that has lowered his uh, num- numbers in terms of goals against and raised them in terms of save percentage over the last couple of years backed by one of the best backup goalies in, in the game in Anton Kudobin who had a, a chance to play a game in uh, the round robin and so I think I think I can easily make the case that we'll see all four of them. But the best goalie uh, on name, name recognition and performance is Ben Bishop out of this quartet, and that gives a slight edge to Dallas in that minding comparison, in my opinion. Well, I I disagree. I don't think we're gonna. I think we're gonna see two guys, and that's gonna be it. Look, Ben Bishop was dealing with something. Unfortunately, we can't uh, you know provide any updates or information. Uh, so whether it was an injury or. or illness or, or whatever it was ben bishop wasn't available for a couple of those games he's healthy and ready uh for tonight if called upon and i think uh, a healthy ben bishop is who we're going to see in between the pipes I, I know his game against vegas wasn't great but you're looking at his first outing after you know four months off i it, it's hard to blame the guy uh, for you know giving in four goals on, on 32 shots to that golden knights team after such a long layoff and on the flip side I think this is firmly Cam Talbot's crease in Calgary. He didn't do anything in those opening games to make me uh, even remotely think that he's not going to get the shot to to be the guy there for them. So uh, while you think we're going to see four, I think we'll just see two of them. Uh, I will say barring injury, if somebody gets hurt, obviously, I th- I, you know, somebody else will come in. I smell uh, a side bet. <laughs> sounds like a plan. I, I, I think we can do that. Um, so in, in terms of the, the defense there, um, on on the Calgary side, you're going to see, you know, the big name, Mark Giordano, uh, paired up with TJ Brody, Noah Hannafin, Rasmus Anderson, Derek Forbert, and uh, Eric Gustafson. I think Gustafson was the one player um, that was a bit of a surprise maybe right at the top with, um, you know, the numbers that he put up certainly – uh, weren't uh, you know were were impressive three assists in those four games two of those coming on the power play so he's getting opportunities there uh, and so I, I like everything that they have to offer honestly uh, if I have a criticism it's the fact that Giordano the guy who's supposed to be doing all the producing for him had just one assist in those four games so you know I would like to obviously see more from him if I'm I'm a Flames fan here uh, on the flip side. For Dallas, uh, it's led for, you know, I, I think we, in a lot of ways, you might expect it to be led by John Klingberg. And certainly uh, he is the, you know, still that big name guy there. But really, uh, Miro Heiskanen was the one leading the way for this group. Uh, they've got those two on, on different lines. And, and so, um, you know, we, we won't necessarily see them paired up together. Klingberg uh, had one assist in his two appearances. Meanwhile, Heiskanen, four assists in his three games and uh so in terms of the dfs if if i'm looking at these two clubs or this club and trying to pick one uh, i go heisken in over klingberg from there uh it's esselandell will be with klingberg jamie alexiak the towering uh, defensively minded player with miro heisken and then uh, and then the last group andre sakara and stefan johns round out so uh, i think if i'm giving an edge to either group uh it's very close uh, for me i think I slightly side with Dallas 
and that's partially because I really like Miro Heiskanen's uh, game, but I don't think it's too far of a drop-off to Calgary. Well, you highlighted a, not, a number of guys on both sides, AJ, that have an offensive upside to their game, uh, as well as, as a good defensive acumen. Mark Giordano typifies that on the Calgary side. I don't sleep on TJ Brody. He's got to be thrilled that he's back with his longtime partner. Uh, things haven't gone well for him since he moved off that pairing, but now that he's back with the captain of the Flames in the top group, uh, I, I keep an eye on him as a, a good value play in DFS. Uh, smooth skating guy, he's going to be key in terms of trying to break down the, def- the defensive posture that ta- Dallas will definitely put up against uh, the Calgary Flames here. But they also have Eric Gustafsson on the third pairing. This guy's going to get some power play time, and that's where I think his value comes in. He's uh, a year and a half removed from a 60-point season, and a lot of people seem to forget that about him. Noah Hannafin was a, t- a top three or top four draft pick in his draft class too, so there's some quality there on the on the Calgary side. You mentioned on the Dallas side, this is a team that's one of the stoutest defenses in the league, and you can credit the likes of Essa Lindell and Jamie Alexiak and Miro Heiskanen for that, but don't sleep on the offensive ability of, of John Klingberg, Andre Sakara, and, and Heiskanen. They, they too uh, offer that side of the, uh, the equation in terms of value from the back end. So I'll side with you that, that Dallas has a bit of an edge just because in addition to the offensive upside of some of the players they can offer, they are part of a very tight defensive structure that gives Dallas the edge at the defense position for me as well. In terms of the forward groups, uh, look at the Dallas Stars. Tyler Sagan missed the last game, but maybe it was more of a uh, preventative such maintenance day kind of a circumstance there, getting him ready to play. And he's reunited with his longtime partners on, uh, on the top unit here. And I'm, I'm always pleased to see when, when teams go revert back to things that have worked well over long stretches of time. Alex, Alexander Radulov, for me, he's a warrior, this guy. And this is his time of year. I think he's one of the team leaders in Dallas. And he's a cheaper than average value in terms of the top right wings in DFS play. So I'll be looking at him to fill my lineups as often as I can, I think. And Jamie Benn is a guy, while he's underperformed offensively for the last season or so, uh, the partnership with Sagan has been a longstanding and productive one. So I expect big things from him there. And and uh, I like the pairing of the duo of Rup- Rupe Hintz and Denis Gurianov, two youngsters who figure to be the next wave of top players in the Dallas mix. Uh, being the cornerstones of a second unit and of course when I talk about dynamic duos I always like to look at who's the third guy playing with them and in this case it's Matthias Janmark who gets the Duke so he could be another good sneaky DFS value play there. Uh, Joe Pavelski this is his time of year a playoff warrior too uh, not unlike Radulov so I love the fact that he's on this, this team partnered with Corey Perry another veteran guy who solidified that third line and Joel Kivaranta is the third guy in that mix but maybe be challenged by Andrew Cogliano, another veteran. So some good depth on the Dallas side of the equation. We go to the Calgary group and we see a high-octane offense up front led by uh, the dynamic duo of uh, Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan. Elias Lindholm is the third third guy on that group who will be the cheaper of the DFS options, so I'll keep an eye on him as well. Andrew Mangiapane has made a name for himself. That's quite a moniker anyway, when you think about it. I'll say that, but... uh, in any case, he has moved up the ranks on the left side, taking the second line role alongside Michael Backlund, who had a good round robin set, uh, first round set, uh, 
centering that second unit and their team leader offensively to me is Matthew Tuchuk along with Johnny Gaudreau. Matthew Tuchuk anchoring that second line. He's kind of the heartbeat of this team from the forward ranks as Giordano is from the blue line. So really solid leadership in the Calgary circumstance and nobody wants to trifle with Milan Lucic. He almost killed a guy in a fight in, the, in that first round AJ that I saw and uh, he'll be on the wing with Sam Bennett and Dylan Dubé on that third unit for the Flames uh, rounding out a pretty interesting top nine I'll say yeah I think for me uh, you know I I give the edge here in this in this group to Calgary and 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 partially because like you said the the high powered or high octane offense they they certainly can put up points the problem for me with Dallas is yes we're we're seeing Sagan um, you know, and Ben reunited, but is that going to stick? They've kind of been, you know, going through the blender here during the play-in rounds, in part due to due to injury here. And then, uh, don't sleep on this fact. You look at the third line for Calgary. They've got uh, Dylan Dubé and Sam Bennett. Both had individual Corsi four above ten. Uh, you know, uh, during the during the season here. So these are guys that in a third line role are putting pucks towards the net. They're not always on net. Sometimes they're getting blocked or just missing, but they're at least getting opportunities. So um, I I think that's a good sign for this team. And I I just think they're deeper than Dallas. Um, So I'll I'll go first here with the pick on this one. And and for me, uh, I'm going to go Flames in five, actually, here. I I don't expect a long series. Um, You know, I know I said Dallas has the edge on defense, but Miro Heiskanen isn't going to win this one on his own. And I, I love how uh, Cam Talbot has kind of turned things around here and and really taken the the bull by the horns uh, in between the nets. Well, this will be the first one that we disagree on, AJ. I think it's going to be a longer series. And I'm going to see all four four goalies in this set. I'm going to give Dallas the edge just because of that sound defensive structure. I saw it win a couple of series in the opening round for other teams the defense beats a good defense beats a good offense so i'm going to say dallas stars in seven games in this set the first series that we disagree on and that takes us to the final a look at the final set on the the western side vancouver canucks versus the defending cup champions in st louis aj why don't you lead us through the goalie comparison there yeah so you know pretty straightforward you know if if there's questions about other you know other teams and and who's going to be between the pipes for them i I think it's a lot more straightforward in this one in terms of vancouver uh you've got you know it's going to be jacob markstrom he took all four games for them uh in the opening round put together a 0.926 save percentage in those contests gave up just nine goals in in four games and so it's it's pretty clear on that one there we talked about the blues didn't look their best uh over the course of that series and while jake allen put together a really solid uh performance he had 37 saves uh in his one game uh you know on on 38 shots just one goal allowed and, and bennington looked human We'll, we'll say it that way um you know eight goals allowed in his two appearances not great but again look he he's the one that won them the stanley cup last year i don't foresee any situation in which he doesn't take you know take the starting job heading in here um yeah i would honestly be be, be quite surprised to see uh you know jake allen see any more games the the rest of the way here yeah, I would tend to agree with you. I mean, I've already made my statement that Jacob Markstrom has done enough in the past calendar year to rank among the top 10 goalies in the league, but Bennington is well ahead of him in that ranking. 
AJ, and uh, I think straight up uh, it's a big advantage for St. Louis, the fact that the youngster has had the experience most recently of a cup win and has done nothing but win uh, in the NHL since he started as an, uh, at the old, uh, an older age than most goalies make it into the NHL at 26. But uh, he, he, there's no looking back based on what he's done there, and he, he's behind a really strong team uh, in the defending cup champs. So I think a slight edge uh, is due to the St. Louis keeper. On the blue line, you start to justify that statement that I just made. When you look at the depth that St. Louis has on the back end, for me, this is the team that has maybe one, two with any other team you can think of in terms of the deepest defense and quality on the back end. They've got four guys that are contributors possibly to the offense, including obviously their captain, Alex Pietrangelo. This could be a swan song because he's playing out the option on a on a cap that that uh, salary cap hit that will expire this season be the top pending UFA in the offseason so he'd like to go out with another cup ring and he's leading a, a great group back there Colton Pareko a giant of a man who is a solid skater and a big cannon of a shot he anchors the second pairing with Marcos Candela Carl Gunnarsson is the defensive conscience of, of this group in the top four partnering with Pietrangelo and the third pairing features a youngster Vince Dunn who's really coming into his own as a all, good all-around defender and Justin Falk the guy that's kind of pushing Petrangelo out is noted for his offensive upside as well though he didn't show it in the large part large parts of this season with St. Louis I think he's a guy that could be an interesting value play in DFS if he does get some power play reps as I expect that he will in this postseason on the Vancouver side of course the big name is Quinn Hughes and he's the anchor of the power play here but he has a co-anchor in Alex Edler who they have a really solid one too in terms of power play quarterbacks here Chris Tanev had an outstanding opening series as well so he's primed for a nice playoff uh, result already and Troy Stetcher rounds out the top four the weakest of this quartet but uh, when you're in the company of the three other guys a most other defensemen would feel the feel the same way Tyler Myers another giant on the back end here he has some offensive upside too for the Canucks but he's relegated with third line pairing with Oli Olivi a youngster who I think I still think there'll be big things that you can expect from him. So it's a pretty interesting six-pack in Vancouver. But I, again, in my mind, give the nod to the Blues in that matchup. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's close. Um, but for me, I'm actually going to hedge towards Vancouver in, in terms of who I think has the edge on the blue line. And, and part of that is is based on performance. Uh, Petrangelo, no points in, his, in those three games. Uh, and so, you know, they he's not you know not producing right now and and yeah on the other side you mentioned that they've got Hughes uh leading the way and and really I I like their group and you know Tyler Myers is, is a player I wouldn't sleep on either here um maybe not the biggest offensive contributor but he did have 21 points in 68 games this year if you extrapolate that out he might have gotten close to getting 30 points and that would have been his third straight year uh topping the 30 point mark so uh certainly not a player to sleep on there and so for me i actually like uh the vancouver blue line a little bit better and in terms of the forward compliments uh look you know i what have you done for me lately cropping up again here but you look at big names schwartz tarasenko um neither one of those guys put up any points in the first round uh, Shen was maybe the only guy from that top group with with two helpers there. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly did have have three assists. So 
they they have the names, right? They have the guys that you would expect to do, um, you know, big things here in their top six. Looks like it'll be Schwartz, Shen, Tarasenko uh, on the first line, then Sanford, O'Reilly, and Perron on the second. I have some questions uh, about the depth here. Um, it's all guys I like, but I feel they're a little bit streaky in Sammy Blay, Robert Thomas, and, and Tyler Bozak. I think any one of those guys could be replaced by their fourth line, which comes in as Steen, Sunquist, and Brower. Uh, for some reason, Jordan Cairo, I, I am a little bit confused by that decision to, to sit him in, in two of those three games. Um, I, I think he should have a bigger role, honestly. And, and even in the one game he was in, he only logged just over nine minutes of ice time. I, I think this is a player um, that could take on more responsibility for them. And, you know, limited sample size, yes, he only played in 28 games this year, but he had nine points in, in those outings, and, and that's despite logging less than 11 minutes a night. So there, I see something in him there, but clearly the coaching staff isn't ready at this point to give him that opportunity. Um, on the flip side with, with Vancouver, uh, there are certainly questions there as well. It's you know it's not open and shut in terms of of how they look in their forward complements. The top line is pretty much set: J.T. Miller, uh, Elias Pettersson, and Brock Besser. Second line, I I don't love how it looks. Sometimes you've got Tanner Pearson and Bo Horvat uh, with the injuries to Toffoli and Furlan. Uh, Louis Erickson taking that that second spot, and that's maybe their their weak point here. Uh, Adam Gaudet sounds like he's going to be back and healthy, so he should slot back in as their third line center. Uh, look for me if I if I'm coaching this team, I might consider moving Horvat to the wing and letting Gaudet be the center on that second line. That that's what I would do if I was running the show here. I I obviously am not, <laughs> but um, you know I, I I just don't trust Louis Erickson as that as a top six guy at this point in his career. I agree with that sentiment, but I'm going to begin my look at the Blues with the uh, mention of Vlad Tarasenko. This is a guy that only played 10 regular season games, AJ, limited by injury, but uh, looks like he's going to be healthy to start the postseason, and that's great news for the Blues, providing an offensive spark that they didn't have much of the season, and uh, partnered with Braden Shen and Jaden Schwartz. That's a pretty impressive top line, in my estimation, and the second unit is, is one you can't sleep on, obviously, too. The firepower of David Perron, matched with one of the better playmakers in hockey, in Ryan O'Reilly, makes them a, a tandem that should be feared, and the third guy in that mix is a guy who was a fourth-liner not so long ago, but has made, a, made the leap into the top six on merit. Zach Sanford is a guy who will be cheap in DFS play, but I think is a good, maybe the best value among the forward mix in St. Louis. And the flexibility that you touched on, although you gave it a bit of a negative slant, is the depth among the bottom six. Steen, Blay, Thomas, and Bozak, these are all guys that are capable scorers, but also responsible players on the other end of the ice. And that really is a separator for me when you look at the head-to-head comparison with Vancouver, because as uh, I, you mentioned, Louis Erickson on the second line at right wing, that makes absolutely no sense when you start to think about it, but it's the best of a series of other options. Uh, some of them are nicked up in Michael Ferlin and Tyler Toffoli that make that call necessary, but the minute that one, of the, one or the other of those two guys is healthy, they're going to move up above Erickson on the depth chart, and that will make the, the Vancouver situation look a lot better. Tanner Pearson also, I think, is miscast as a top six player on in most people's minds, but because, again, he's competing against the likes of Antoine Roussel and Tyler Mott, 
and even Justin Bailey on the left side, he gets the Duke uh, as, as the best option available behind J.T. Miller, who anchors the top line along with Elias Pettersson and Brock Besser. It's a pretty much an all eggs and all the top eggs in one basket here on the on the Vancouver side, and it gives me every incentive to say that I think St. Louis has a big edge in terms of the offense in this matchup. And uh, that's my sense of it, AJ, anyway. And I'll uh, swing into the call for the series. I think St. Louis wins it in five. The defending champs didn't look very good in the round-robin series. We all know that. But I think that they know what it takes to win. And when the chips are down, as they are now in the games that matter, I think they'll show that disparity over Vancouver. I actually am going to disagree with you here. I'll take Vancouver in six. Uh, I I like um, their up-and-coming stars, and, and they're getting good kind of combination from from the quote-unquote new guys in, in Pedersen and Hughes, um, along with, you know, some more established guy, uh, veterans in, in Edler and, and Tyler Myers and Jacob Markstrom. So um, there's not a ton of weak points that I see in this team right now. Uh, so I'll take the Canucks in six. All right, partners. So there's a couple where we agree on, a couple where we disagree. So it'll be food for for talk when we get together on the next episode of this show for sure. But before we go there, we got to finish up our assignment today, and that's taking a look at the Eastern Conference playoff quarterfinals and uh, the Montreal Canadiens versus the Philadelphia Flyers. This is a very intriguing goalie matchup. AJ, we're talking about the new boss in the Nets, maybe in the next generation of goalies versus the old boss, and that's Carey Price versus. Uh, versus Carter Hart in the Nets here. Both of them have had outstanding seasons, and uh, Hart backstopped this team uh, to an uptick in their fortunes over the regular season. We always said, if they can straighten out the net mining, this is going to be an awesome club because they've got a wealth of talent everywhere else. Well, that showed up to be the case this year, and certainly in the round robin, he didn't hurt his cause either. And Philadelphia winning the top seed gets the 12th-seeded Canadians in the first round. But, boy, anytime Carey Price suits up, you've got to be a little bit nervous when you're looking down the ice at him. Obviously, yeah. That, that became clear uh, in the last round. Look, uh, when you have a, a guy that puts up you know, a .941 save percentage, you're not expecting him to have the second-best numbers on his team. That's Brian Elliott in his one game. Carter Hart, .966 in his two appearances uh, and really is rolling right now. Um, you know, the, this is maybe a, an area of concern for if you're a DFS uh, player out there that maybe you don't want to take any offensive players from either of these teams. <laughs> when you've got a guy like Carter Hart who's playing on top of his game and Carey Price, one of the best uh, to ever play, uh, really, there, there's maybe uh, some some tough choices here in terms of offensive players to look at. These guys will get help on the blue line by um, some pretty top-end quality guys here. You've got Shea Weber and Jeff Petrie, who really led the way uh, in terms of scoring with, with that opening uh, opening three games, or four games there, rather, uh, and put up, uh, you know, it, it was... They were two of the top three point producers for Montreal in this series. Weber, two goals, two assists. Petri, two goals and, and one assist. Uh, and, you know, Ben Sherratt did find himself two, two helpers there as well. So uh, really a, a strong offensively-minded group uh, on the blue line here for, for Montreal. The rest of the group, so Sherratt will play with Weber, Brett Kulak playing with Petri, and then Victor Mete and Xavier Olet rounding it out. On the other side of the ice, uh, the Flyers, uh, this is maybe the one spot where there, there's some questions here. So 
Ivan Provorov and Matt Niskanen uh, will make up their their top pairing. That I think is is set from there. But the rest of the way, uh, certainly things have looked uh, a little uncertain as they've been shuffled around from the start. Travis Sanheim was their leading you know blue line producer with one goal and one assist, and they'll uh, pair him up with uh, Philippi Myers has been the option most recently. Shane Gossesbear gets into the last game. They held him out the first two round-robin uh, round games. They put him into the last one, and he gets two assists. So maybe he's making a case for himself to, to see more ice time after you know being scratched during the regular season. Um, so for, for, for me, I actually think this might be the weakest spot on the Flyers team, and, and that's saying a lot because I don't think they're a bad group. I just think they're a little bit weaker uh, as you know, if you're looking at net mining forwards defense, I think if you're looking for a weak link, I think for the Flyers, it's the defense. Well, I, I think that's a bit of a stretch in my opinion, but I, I'll, I'll respect your thought. Uh, I like the youngsters that they're bringing together on this unit. And I think maybe they're, they're a year or two away from being compared to one of the top six packs in the entire league when you think about it particularly if Shane Gossisbear can write his own uh, script uh, from the previous couple of years where he slipped a little bit this guy was at, a, at one point one of the top offensive defensemen in the league and if he can approach that that would be a big a big gain for Philadelphia in these playoffs Sanheim and Philippe Myers an interesting second pairing here two youngsters that I think are only going to grow with this experience Sanheim uh, a guy with the more upside more offensive upside in my opinion but there is good value in both of them Niskanen and Provorov more veteran types Niskanen particularly getting a, ro- a look at the power play quarterback more often than not is a guy that has a significant value in this set but you mentioned on the Montreal side that they have two linchpins in terms of their scoring from the back end two guys that play it well at both ends of the ice as well in Weber and Petrie anchoring that defense they're they're their primary offensive weapons on the back end the rest guys of the guys more noted for the defensive acumen complementing these fellows as well when we look at the offense here uh, I'm excited for the Canadians fans future if Nick Suzuki can continue the trajectory that he's on he is listed right now as the top center uh, of this team playing between two veteran wingers and Thomas Tatar and Brendan Gallagher Gallagher which is an interesting uh, situation for him and the same thing can be said for the second line when Jesperi Kotkaniemi uh, looks to be lining up with Yoel Armia and Jonathan Drouin uh, who has been an enigma for me I thought this guy would be super excited super motivated to play in Montreal but it hasn't really worked out that way uh, despite the fact he's getting second line minutes it looks like to start this series Paul Byron is a guy uh, partnering with Philippe Deneau and Arturi Lekkonen that could be a very sneaky third line for the Montreal Canadiens so uh, there are some youngsters here that's going to that are going to change the look of the Montreal offense going forward and this is a really good learning experience again for them but they are opposing a very deep offense on the other side of things when you consider that the the Flyers have the luxury of flipping Claude Giroux over to the left wing and leaving the set, top two center roles to Sean Couturier and Kevin Hayes. Joel Farabee it rounds out the top line here and he has had stretches where he's played uh, very very well this season for the Flyers and partnered with Couturier and Giroux gives him a chance to really really be a good value in DFS play in my estimation. Scott Lawton, Hayes and Konechny maybe the best line that we've seen in the first round of the playoffs so far including the round 
John Robbins. Lawton already had a multi-point game. Hayes has had a three-assist game. Connecting had a very good regular season. So this is a, a group that will cost you probably in terms of DFS play the way they're going right now. And uh, they're supported by Nicholas Obey-Kubel, Derek Grant and James Van Riemsdyk. James Van Riemsdyk will have some playoff uh, power play value here as well. So a very deep offense on the Flyers side. And that's without mentioning Jacob Voracek, who's listed as day-to-day and should see plenty of action very soon in these, in these playoffs. Well, Paul, to my point, you just talked about how great this Flyers complement is. And, and I totally agree, which is why I said that their defense is maybe the weakest link of the, the three <laughs> units here. I, I think you just made my case for me. Um, I, you know, I, the, the thing uh, with Farabee, I, I agree. Great DFS call. If he stays in that role, Voracek uh, is a, a game time call tonight. And so if he takes the ice, uh, I imagine Farabee will get bounced all the way to the third line because you're certainly not going to break up um that second line as you said the second line has been so good there's no reason to break that up so if Borisak plays Farabee's now a third line guy and and that you know for me uh, I'm not so sure on on his DFS value if he gets dropped there the biggest question for Montreal in, in my opinion is why is Max Dome continuing to play in a fourth line role uh you know with with Dale Dale Weiss and, and uh uh Belize Alex Belize, I, I just don't understand what's going on there. In their last game that he logged, you know, just about 931 of ice time and a minute and a half of that came on the power play. So he's, he's still factoring in on the power play, but I, I just can't understand why. Now, you mentioned Nick Suzuki is doing a phenomenal job. So maybe they just don't want to break up, you know, these other groups. But but it's it's confusing to me to have a guy who produced like he did in the regular season with 44 points uh, in 71 games and and you're sticking him as a third line center and barely letting him see the ice. I I just don't understand it. Um, But you know, that's, that's why their coaching staff gets paid the big bucks and, and I'm the one, you know, I'm the talking head sitting here. So, (laughs) yeah, I I think you're going to see Domi get more of a role. If this, this looks to me like an opportunity to get his feet wet in the hub city environment concerning for, his health issues with the juvenile diabetes that uh, unfortunately dogs him every day. So uh, partnership with Dale Weiss and Alex Belzeal is is not one that I expect for him during the whole series as this goes on. But uh, it'll be interesting to see how they do deploy him as things move forward. AJ, it's time for the call on this series. I'm going to go out and say that uh, Philadelphia will win this set, but I don't think it's going to be a short one. I think it's going to be a six-game series with the Flyers eventually winning uh, on the basis of the depth that we highlighted here. I agree with the call, but I'm going to take one fewer game. I I think the Flyers take it in five. Maybe I'm just hung up on on Montreal being a bad team and thinking that they should get bounced from the playoffs here, but um, they'll, they'll win a game. Um, it, it could be a couple of, you know, one nothing games here uh, with, you know, Hart and Price. I know Carey Price could steal them more than one. He obviously did in the last series, but uh, I, I still just think they're overmatched here. And so I anticipate Flyers in five on this one. Uh, I'll take us into the Columbus Blue Jacket Tampa Bay Lightning rematch from last year. Uh, in terms of net mining, things look the same for the Lightning. It'll be Andre Vasilevsky, of course between the pipes for them uh on the flip side you know 
I imagine that we will see Jonas Corposalo, but he is obviously on a short leash. He had that bad game, got pulled, and then didn't start the next one in favor of Mirza uh, Lickens. And so uh, I really think it's possible that that would happen again here if the you know if the Lightning put a couple goals in on Corposalo, uh, he may not have as firm as a hold as we might think, and that's despite putting up two shutouts uh, in the previous round series. But he'll be the game one guy for them, absolutely, and we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, anytime you're matched up as our, against the arguably the top goalie in the league, you're going to be coming out second best, and that's the situation for either of the Columbus goalies as they get ready for this set against Vasilevsky, who is really known as, as the top goalie in the league. Uh, based on his talent and the situation that he's in quite frankly behind one of the deep, deepest rosters in hockey but uh, the Jackets did prove that they can play a button-down game and they'll make either goalie look good if they can continue that performance in this round of the playoffs we look at the defense cores of both teams and really it's uh, the defense is the reason why this team is here in in Columbus Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones could make the case that one of they're one of they're one of the one of the ton of the top all around in pairings in hockey they showed it at both ends of the ice logging upwards of 25 minutes a game in that opening round victory over the Leafs and uh, both of them with blessed with an abundance of offensive skill as well as toughness and and good defensive ability as well but they're supported by a couple other quality guys in the second pairing in Gavrikov and Savard Savard has an offensive upside to his game as well so uh, pretty good depth offensively but uh, pretty solid with the fact that they can ice Gavrikov and then a, a third pairing that's pretty credible too in terms of their ability to prevent offense and that's Ryan Murray and Dean Kukan so a, a really solid six pack and they've even got depth in, in the in the stands with Scott Harrington and Marcus Nudevara should any of the top six get hurt so I really like the depth over there in Columbus but uh, boy you've got to look at the situation in 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 uh, Tampa and say they are going to miss Victor Hedman if he's out of of this lineup for any length of time because he's head and shoulders the best player uh, on the back end maybe for either team in this set and if he's not ready to go this swings the tables in, in Columbus's direction I think when you look at the comparison on the back end because apart from Hedman uh, there's a big drop off in terms of the offensive upside maybe the next best guy is Mikhail Sergachev but he's been limited in terms of minutes behind the likes of Ryan McDonough and Eric Zernak he's playing third line minutes Kevin Shattenkirk is a guy who started off well in Tampa, but he's reverted to form that, that has cost him his job in other locales with some poor defensive play, and they're kind of insulating him with third-line minutes here, and uh, maybe he'll be unseated if uh, Jan Ruta can get, get healthy, or they want to go for more of a defensive presence with Luke Shen. I think Shattenkirk's situation is really vulnerable here, but maybe aided by the fact that Hedman is out of lineup and that's not good news for Tampa at all if Hedman can't go I think Columbus gets the edge here oh absolutely agree with that Paul and you know it's looking at the blue line production it's exactly as the the Jackets drew it up David Savard would lead the way in blue line scoring (laughs) oh wait I'm kidding that's not how it was supposed to work out but that's what happened he got three helpers you know Seth Jones and uh, Zach Wierenski both chipped in two so it's not like two points rather so it's not like those guys are slacking at all and I I totally agree I I like the depth here from from the Blue Jackets and and not having Victor Hedman would be a significant blow you know they they said they'll make a decision closer you know to puck drop today Um, so that's one to watch and and overall um, 
at this point, you have to give the edge to, to the Blue Jackets. And I just think, um, you know, it'll be a motivated Lightning team. But, uh, you know, I think uh, they'll they'll struggle against this Blue Jackets team. And part of that is because in terms of the forward complement here, you've got Steven Stamkos out indefinitely at this point. Now, Andre Palat is a very capable replacement on the top line. Um, he's certainly not the same player as Stamkos, obviously, has just one helper through the first three games here of, of the round robin. Um, but certainly he's capable of stepping in to play alongside Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov. Um, the, the problem for me is what happens after that, right? Like with Palat up on the first line, they move Tyler Johnson up to the second line on the wing. I think he's better suited to be their third line center um, rather than playing his off position in my opinion. So you get Kalorn, Sorelli, and Johnson on the second line. I actually like uh, the third line decently well with Blake Coleman, their trade deadline acquisition, Yanni Gord, and Barkley Gaudreau. Um, but it, it does definitely hurt their depth when, when you have Stamkos out and they're forced to you know move things around. On the Columbus side, um, they've made a few adjustments uh, after that, that one loss that they had, uh, or two... Uh, the first loss they had, they made some adjustments and, and came back, um, you know, and used this other group. Right now, it's uh, Texier up on the top line with Pierre-Luc Dubois and Cam Atkinson. Uh, at the start, they had Oliver Borkstrand on the first line. He's dropped down to play with Riley Nash and Liam Foudy. Uh, Gustav Nyquist, Boone Jenner, Nick Foligno making up the third line, although one could certainly argue that might be more of their second line or call it a 2B if you really want to. So uh, for me, I, I think, you know, that, that first line of, of Dubois and Atkinson is certainly dangerous. Texier makes the, you know, kind of the DFS uh, intriguing option there. He doesn't cost much, um, but when he's playing with two guys of, of the caliber that he is uh, in, in, you know, in Dubois and, and uh, Atkinson, I, I think he's bound to pick up some points here or there. Um, without Steven Stamkos, I'm almost inclined to give the edge to the Blue Jackets, even though, you know, obviously Tampa still has Nikita Kucherov. Um, it, it's very close. If you have a healthy, fully fit Steven Stamkos, then I think that, you know, it's a, a, a more of a, in favor of Tampa. But without him, I, I think Columbus might have the better forward complement here. And that's saying something. You would have never thought that, but a key injury with Stamkos for sure. But uh, they're, they're lucky in Tampa that they can offer Palat and Killorn, two guys that battled for the second line minutes all season long, now both getting a shot at top six minutes on the left side. I think the other intriguing thing to look forward to is does Yanni Gord get a shot at second line minutes ahead of Anthony Sorelli, who's more of a checking line presence, but they might be looking for more dynamic offensive upside, and Yanni Gord could be a sneaky good value if he gets that opportunity. Tyler Johnson is a guy who has underperformed offensively much of the season, but don't sleep on him either, as he has that offensive upside to his game that could uh, could rise up and be a real supporting situation for the absence of Stamkos. The third line checkers uh, that'll bring some physicality to the mix in, in Tampa are also worth a mention because of their offensive gifts. And now I'm talking about Blake Coleman and Barkley Gaudreau rounding out that top nine. But uh, you mentioned Columbus. I got to see more of them than I wanted to in that first round. <laughs> and uh, Dubois was the guy that really stood out for me. He's got a really good uh, two-way game and is a, is a real game-breaker up front. And without uh, 
without exaggerating, this guy could be the key to this series, I would say, just as he was one of the keys in the opening round. Atkinson needs to stay healthy. He was dogged, was dogged by a catch in the series against the Leafs where he had to sit out some minutes. But uh, it looks good uh, now, it looks like, after rebounding uh, to play a solid game in Game 5. Texier, you said, is a sneaky good uh, DFS play, I agree. But Liam Foody could be Exhibit B in that regard, too, rounding out that second scoring unit. This guy's a very quick uh, player with offensive skills and uh, a youngster who will re- be really supremely motivated to play in another series against a team that has a high octane offense and scoring chances should be a plenty if this this team counterattacks effectively foodie will be involved gustav nyquist for me underperformed in the first round so i expect to bounce back from him partnered with a uh, jenner and felino they are one of the better checking units in the in the game and they have uh, the ability to counter strike as well so they could be a real key role as well in this matchup in terms of the call of this series aj I'm going to say that Columbus is going to stun the the lightning again. It's going to take them a little longer to get the job done. I'm calling it in seven games for the Jackets over a banged-up Tampa team. And really, it's because they're banged up that that I tilt the edge over in the Jackets' favor. Absolutely agree with that call. If if they had a a totally healthy headman and Steven Stamkos was playing, I I would flip my, uh, my choice here on this one. But uh, based on the current lineups and, and how they match up, I, I agree, Jackets and seven. All right, that brings us to the Islanders and the Caps in the next round. And for the Capitals, it's Braden Holtby and Net, no questions asked, uh, no ifs, ands, or buts. But on the other side, Semyon Varlamov and Thomas Grice, I think, could both see action in this series. They flip-flopped the role uh, during the regular season, almost splitting time. Varlamov figures to start this set too, but I think on on the basis of experience, I give the edge to Braden Holtby. Uh, that's my quick snapshot on on this matchup. AJ, what do you th- think? Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, who the netminders are going to be? Uh, I I I don't know that we'll see Thomas Grice. I think Varlamov performed well enough to kind of cement himself the rest of the way. Um, I would say I. I don't have the schedule in front of me, unfortunately, but if the Islanders have a back-to-back here at some point, maybe that's an opportunity for Grice um, to get a game. But otherwise, I, I think we'll primarily see see Varlamov here. I think what's interesting about the fact that it, I totally agree, it's it's Holpe or Bust at this point, is that you know before teams reported, uh, Samsonov might have been the preferred option here. Uh, Ilya Samsonov reported to to camp having uh picked up a an off ice injury prior to um you know reporting to washington and so i i don't think it would have been quite an open and shut case um if he had been healthy but without him available uh, i think it's very clear that hopey will be their guy uh on the blue line look the biggest thing to watch out for and that we need to be aware about is whether or not john carlson is gonna play here that's a huge factor for washington he had 75 points during the regular season, just a phenomenal campaign, uh, back-to-back years with with at least 70 points, and and you know there there's there's just not enough accolades. The Norris Trophy is is for sure his. I don't foresee anybody else uh, getting a look at that. He has been practicing um, after missing the round robin game, so it's certainly possible that. Um, that was more precautionary and that he'll be ready to go. If if Carlson misses time, the player to keep an eye on in terms of DFS is Dmitry Orlov. He's been getting minutes with the, the top power play unit here because uh, Carlson's been out, doesn't have 
much to show for it. Had one assist with the man advantage in, in the first game. Didn't really do anything in the others. Um, so that's that's the one guy to watch in terms of um, you know the the lineup here. If if uh, Carlson doesn't play, um, the rest of the group: Brendan Dillon, Michael Kempney. Uh, they'll you know none of them are are going to wow you in in my opinion in terms of production. If I'm picking another guy that maybe could do something, it's going to be Kempney. Um, but really, uh, again, it's it's Carlson, and then from there, Orloff. Uh, uh, for the Islanders, uh, you know, a bit of a, a question mark around Johnny Boychuk. He's been out of the lineup. It sounds like he's getting close. Uh, Barry Trotz called him, quote, a highly probable introduction uh, to, the, to the lineup. And so uh, if he comes back in, that kind of changes uh, their look. They've been using Andy Green, who was their trade deadline acquisition, um, Devin Taves, Nick Letty are, are the guys that I would look at in, in terms of the offensive production for, for this group. And so, uh, again, two kind of situations to monitor and, and see who is going to play uh, and how that you know changes the, the pairings. Yeah, I, I mentioned Ryan Pollock off the top in terms of one of the better performers among defensemen in these playoffs and uh, partnered with his longtime running mate, Alan Pollock. That's a really good shutdown pairing too, a key element to this series when I look at it. Letty and Taves will carry the mail in addition to Pollock offensively, but I look for that third pairing to play a prominent role in trying to shut down one of the top uh, two uh, forward lines in in Washington, and you mentioned the Carlson, Carlson situation really shines a bright light on Dmitry Orlov, and uh, I picked him on several of my playoff pools, so that could turn out to be a bonus for me, I guess. Michael Kempney is the only other guy that will carry the offensive mail here in Washington, so the rest will be up to the forward ranks there. And when it comes to those forward ranks, I really look at the Caps top six, and I say there's not a there's not a weak spot there, and. Uh, um, on the top unit, we mentioned Kuznetsov and Ovechkin being the, the dynamic duo. Wilson, Tom Wilson, uh, fourth liner a, couple, a year and a half ago, uh, cementing himself as a top line right wing there. And the DFS value play, uh, if that four li- forward line stays intact as we expect that it will. Nicholas Backstrom could flip-flop with Kuznetsov any time, so keep an eye on that situation. But even if he stays with his current partners, Verana and Oshi, he has significant value as well. It's the third line that will suffer a little bit in terms of offensive upside. As long as Lars Eller is out of the lineup, he's one of the better third-line centers in the game. But that role will go to Travis Boyd between Carl Hagelin and Ilya Kovalchuk, two guys who can skate like the wind. Kovalchuk still has the ability to fly despite his advanced years. But uh, at this time of year, this is why he's here and he could be an interesting value play as well in DFS as a depth player for the Caps but on the other side the Islanders more of a no name recognition type group once you get past Matthew Barzal as one of the game breakers that they bring to the table every night but beyond them Anders Lee has taken a step back ever backwards ever since John Tavares left the island he's the guy that suffered the most but he still retains a top line role here as the center uh, as the captain of this team and on the opposite wing Jordan Eberle for me one of the guys with the high, highest hockey IQ in the game uh, is a is a really good DFS value play as long as he plays first line minutes there the second unit not to be overlooked as well could be a good dfs play on some nights too depending on the matchups there and that's bovillier and bailey centered by brock nelson a guy who had a breakout 
a couple of breakout seasons in a row, in fact, to cement himself as a, uh, another offensive producer here of note. And uh, John Gabriel Peugeot was an, a guy they acquired late in the season here to anchor a third line, and uh, he's the offensive spark here. Uh, likely hoping to partner with Derek Broussard to get the most out of his skill set, but it's been dormant more often than not. I say that for Broussard. Rounding out the top nine is Leo Komarov, the defensive conscience of this group, I will say. Not a guy that you should lean on for any offensive value. And on the, on the whole of it, AJ, I see Washington with a big edge among the forward ranks here when I compare them head-to-head. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree that, that that they have the edge. I think it's a little bit closer, if only because the Islanders do have Jean-Gabriel Jean Pajot, who had three goals in, in those four games and certainly, uh, you know, leading the, the goal scoring with Bolivier. Um, and so I, I, I think Washington, I agree, uh, has the edge in this one, but I, it may not be quite as far apart as, as, you're, as you're selling it, Paul, uh, you know, especially – with Lars Eller away from the team, I, I think that stretches the, the depth a little bit. Um, you know, whether or not he'll be back in time to play in game one, uh, we're kind of at a, a wait and see on that. And so um, I, I, I think it'll be, uh, I, I think it'll be fine. Uh, if they don't have him. Travis Boyd looks to slot into that third line spot with Carl Hagelin and Ilya Kovalchuk. Um, but overall, uh, for me, I, I think it's a little bit closer than than what you're doing, what you're selling them on. <laughs> and uh, despite the fa- that fact, I think we might even agree on the call here. When I look at your prediction, AJ, you gave me a sneak peek there. Uh, I'm going to say the Caps in six games. Uh, the Islanders have to rely on the ability of their defense to shut down uh, as much of the top six pack of forwards the Caps will throw at them. But they're going to have their hands full with that group, and I think it's too much for them. The Caps in six was my call. Yeah, I agree. I think Washington in six, like I said, it, it's it's they kind of lead the way, especially if John Carlson's healthy. They, you know, kind of in all three areas of the game uh, or the lineup, rather, they, they definitely lead the way, in my opinion. We'll go into the last series here, Carolina and Boston. In terms of the net minding, uh, this might be the one where we, we see kind of the, the shuffle the deck approach here. You know, Carolina used both of their netminders in, in the previous series. And, and I could certainly see that happening again versus uh, versus the Bruins. Peter Mrazek will get the number one, no doubt, in my opinion. Um, but, you know, looking at their schedule, games five and six are potentially a back-to-back. And so let's say, for example, uh, you know, they go into game six uh, with a 3-2 lead. They want to give, you know, Reimer a look. I, I could certainly see it. And then, you know, Mrazek's rested and healthy, ready to go uh, for Game 7 if needed. And so uh, I think we could see both of these guys here. In Boston, you know, again, it, it's, it's you know, Tuka Rask is, is the main guy for them, but they've relied on both netminders throughout the year. Uh, Rask's numbers in the playing rounds weren't bad. It really was the offense that was, in my opinion, the bigger problem. Um, you know, he gave up five goals on 60 shots. That's a .917 save percentage. It's not terrible. It, it could certainly be better. Um, so, again, if, if Boston, you know, has an opportunity to use Halak for a game you know, in some similar combination there, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see it. 
Uh, I, I think this is going to be the second series where we might see all four goalies in the nets, and it's because of that possible back-to-back that you pointed out. Mrazek looks like he's definitely on the top of his game, so he'll get the start for Carolina to begin the series. I do think we'll see Reimer the moment there's a slip-up in Carolina's fortunes. Rask will get the start in Boston, and uh, the same can be said if the Bruins continue to, to flounder. They may be looking for a spark, and that could come by switching over to Halak a guy who is battle-tested as a veteran in this league as well. So a slight edge to my mind, just because Tuka Rask is the best of the four goalies, I'll give it to Boston, I will say. If we look at the defense cores of this in this set too, it's uh, an interesting mix in Boston as usual when we highlight the same factor. Every time there's, they go into a series, they can say, we can point to two offensive juggernauts on the back end, and that's on the first pairing, Charlie McAvoy, on the second pairing, Tory Krug, though Krug is their linchpin among the power play setup, and Zdeno Chara and Brendan Carlo provide the, the defensive conscience, but I don't sleep on Chara's offensive upside. He seems to produce key points and the key goals when this team needs it in the postseason uh, more often than not. So I think this is a time where you can say maybe he is a good DFS value play as well in this postseason. You round it out with uh, the rest of the crew here, uh, Lozon, Clifton, Zborl, and Grilchik. <laughs> Matt Grilchik is uh, the, probably the name that I struggle with the most in the in the NHL. Uh, I'll have to check it out on the production uh, pronunciation guide here, but he is the guy that has the offensive upside for Boston uh, beyond Krug and McAvoy and has that DFS value in his back pocket. I think Carolina is blessed with a wealth of options on the back end, and Vatanen is one, uh, Slavin another, Shea a third, and you can even make the case for Jake Gardner there. I'll throw his name in. But the, <laughs> one, the one name that I won't mention is Dougie Hamilton right now, AJ, because there's no certainty will, uh, with, with his ability to play to start this series. And if he does play, I think that t- this tips the scales in terms of the offensive upside of the Carolina defense and the depth that they offer could be a significant advantage for them. Oh, I totally agree. I mean, if, if Dougie Hamilton's playing, you're talking about a guy uh, like Joel Edmondson being on your third pairing potentially with Jake Gardner. And I think for much of the season, he's been easily a top four blue liner for them. So the depth here uh, with that Sammy Vatanen acquisition is, is un, unreal uh, in terms of, you know, having Hamilton in. Latest news says he could be ready. So, <laughs> you know, everything's up in the air. It's normally during the postseason you add in that there's less news less reporters as part of the bubble uh, and it just kind of further complicates trying to figure this out um, I do think if Hamilton plays it lowers the DFS value for Sammy Votnin, Um and especially Jake Gardner who's been lo- logging power play minutes for them as well uh, but I agree I, I give the edge to the hurricane I, I think i honestly give the edge to the hurricanes as is you add dougie hamilton and i think it's that much of a bigger gap here uh the forward compliments i'll, I'll start with carolina you've got kind of a, a power top line in svechnikov aho and tara Vanen. uh it rounds out you know niederreiter trocek martin Neckes, uh as the third group warren fogel jordan stahl justin williams uh, a third line here and then brock mcginn Morgan Geeky uh, and and Jordan Martinook uh, as the fourth line. Ryan Zingle is one player who could get minutes periodically. He's been uh, on the outside looking in as a as a healthy scratch throughout the first 
uh, three games, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him get into a contest. Uh, for Boston, uh, you know, the biggest concern is, is Marshawn, Bergeron, and Pasternak. They combine uh, for, for one point in the first three games uh, between those guys combined. Marshawn was a minus three for his part. Same with Pasternak. Uh, and if, if these guys aren't producing this, honestly, if they continue to produce at this level, this will be a four-game series and done. These guys need to figure something out. Um, and, you know, maybe the question mark is too many new pieces with not enough time to gel. You talk about they added Richie and Andre Case right at the deadline. Those guys only played a few games with them. Uh, and, you know, they've had a, a few other issues with those guys getting into the lineup. So DeBrusque, Krejci, and Case as their second line. I, I'm very skeptical about this group. The, the, the round robin was not favorable to them, maybe they needed that wake-up call, and, and they'll do something in the next series. But right now, it's certainly not looking good. That's right. If there was one big disappointment for me, it was the Boston offense, particularly from that top line. One assist, you mentioned it, going to Pasternak, Bergeron, Marchand completely shut out. And you wonder if those guys were just simply waiting for these games to get to this this point where we're in the round of 16. Well, Boston fans better hope so, but I really didn't like what I saw. And you highlighted the lack of depth among the secondary scoring. It only looks even more like more of a problem when that first line is not going. Andre Kashe was an acquisition that they thought would bolster that second line, but he's done virtually nothing since joining the Bruins and added to that in the, in the round-robin series. DeBrusque is a guy who seems to produce in the playoffs a He's been a strong playoff performer for this team and could be a good DFS play if they can extend things beyond this round. You, you might get a nice round out of him in your season-long playoff formats as well if you've got him. David Krejci, another guy who seems to rise to the occasion in the postseason, and the same can be said for Charlie Coyle. They're going to need some or all of these guys to show something because there's a lot of depth on the Carolina side, and the Bruins are going against a pretty top-notch uh, defense. If they only have to worry about that top line, it's a big advantage for them. And when you think about the offense that Carolina can counter with, they have maybe the most dynamic forward line that we've seen in the first group of playoff games. Aho has been on fire. Teravainen and Svechnikov car- carrying along in his wake uh, to produce points themselves. Nino Niederreiter and Martin Netzkash are both dynamic forwards. And if you've got Vinny Trocek playing his solid two-way and playmaking game, that's another very good second line and gives them an advantage over the Bruins' second line, in my estimation. You had Jordan Stahl, one of the better shutdown centers. He's going to see a lot of a lot of Patrice Bergeron, I think, in this series. And, and on his wing, you've got a veteran like Justin Williams who knows what goes on and how important the playoffs are. So that's a pretty good tandem to oppose that top-scoring line. And Warren Fogle, a physical guy, will make, uh, make their lives miserable, too. So so I like the way the, the, the Hurricanes line up against the Bruins with the depth that the forward position and the ability to really ice a top-notch shutdown line against the, the lack of perfection line, I'll call them, in Boston so far. So, AJ, that brings us to the call in this series. And uh, I would have never dreamt that I would pick against Boston in the first round of the playoffs, but I'm going to do so with Carolina winning this series in seven games. And as you implied, if that first line doesn't go well for the Bruins, this could be a much shorter series. Well, here's what I'll say. I will predict Carolina in, set, in six because I don't think that first line is going to continue to struggle. Now, if tonight's game, if that first line doesn't at least score two goals as a group, I'm going to change my prediction to Carolina in four. Wow. So if they don't score tonight, I say Carolina in four. 
uh, and this one will be over quickly. But I don't think that'll happen. I expect they'll put some points up. So overall, uh, I go Carolina in six. All right. Well, there's our calls on the series, and it's time to swing over to our FanDuel segment. There, uh, the the round of 16 begins with four games tonight. AJ, we got Columbus at and Tampa at three. We got Calgary and Dallas at 5:30. Carolina and Boston at eight, and Chicago and Vegas in the nightcap at 10:30 on the left coast. So, uh, with those four games in place, why don't you tell us what the RotoWire optimizer has spit out, and I'll get my lineup ready. Yeah, it's definitely an, an interesting lineup uh, coming from the optimizer because it really fit in a, a lot of first line guys here. And, and one way it did that was not spending up at the center position. Uh, it's got uh, Vinny Trocek uh, for at five thousand, and then Dylan Strome for Chicago at thirty nine hundred. And I, I think those are good, decent value plays. You know, Strome might be the the bigger question mark there. Um, but certainly, you know, Chicago has been scoring uh, pretty well of late. You know, Strom uh, gets to play with a guy like Alex Nylander, who can be an X factor from time to time. Uh, unfortunately, he's not always, which is why he's uh, moved around a bit. But um, certainly a, a viable option there and potential to see second power play minutes. The big spending for this, the optimizer comes at the wing, paying up for Nikita Kucherov at eighty three hundred. Patrick Kane at 7,800. You get Elias Lindholm, uh, the first liner for Calgary at 5,600. That's a pretty good value. And then based on the most recent line combinations, Radulov on the top group as well now at 4,700. So, um, you know, running through some of the best uh, players and line assignments there. On the blue line, uh, obviously this will depend on, on what news comes out. But as of right now, the optimizer is using Victor Hedman at 6,300, assuming he plays in that game tonight. Day to day kind of classification there, and then Mark Giordano uh, comes in as the the second blue liner there at 5,600. Look, if you're concerned about Hedman and want to see what it offers without doing that, the optimizer gives you the opportunity to exclude a player, so you could just take Hedman out and then rerun it and see what your combinations look like at that point and, and where it goes from there. In terms of the net mining, uh, the the optimizer will go with Morazic tonight coming in at 7,700. He's on the cheaper side against a Boston team that just hasn't been able to score lately. So it's certainly hard to argue uh, that point. That is for sure. All right, AJ, you gave me time to put together my lineup tonight, and I thank you for that. And uh, I'm going to go with a lineup that features, if there's any kind of a lean, it's with the Vegas Golden Knights. And I tr- take two-thirds of the of uh, their first line in Willie Carlson and Mark Stone as the centerpieces there. Carlson comes in at $6,100 as a good value for, for a first-line center. Mark Stone, of course, the leader of this team, the heart and soul, I think, of the Vegas Knights since he arrived there. $7,300. I'm looking for this to be a high-scoring game, perhaps, but maybe really one-sided. I sure hope it does be- become that way because Robin Leonard is my go-to goalie at $8,300. I'm paying up for the fact that I think Ve- Vegas should dispatch the Hawks summarily this evening uh, to set the tone in that series. I saw enough of Pierre-Luc Dubois to realize that $5,700 is a cheap value for him and I expect him to have a big series against Tampa and for $5,700 he's my second center of note Timo Teravainen is a guy who 
didn't shine as brightly as his line mates in the opening series of games for Carolina, but don't sleep on him. He's a top point producer, point of game guy, and I get him for $6,300 to start building my wingers. I partner him with a couple of guys from Calgary and in Elias Lindholm at $5,600 and Matthew Tuchuk at $6,400 there against Dallas tonight. I expect Calgary's offense to be led through to through these two guys. So happy to get them in the fold. Uh, Seth Jones, a guy that will play 25 minutes a game as long as the, the Jackets are in the playoffs. He was overshadowed a little bit offensively by Jack, Zach Wierenski, but I expect him to break out in this series and show that he is prob- possibly the best guy on the ice as long as Victor Hedman is not involved in this set. And Sammy Vatnan, we talked about him a lot and I think he's a guy that Carolina is counting on to tilt the scales for them against Boston as well. So in addition to Tara Vinen, I put that into the mix. I already mentioned Leonard as my goalie of choice. So I'm I'm well equipped to go into this first round of games tonight. I think I'll continue a streak that uh, has gone three night. I've gone three nights into this FanDuel thing, AJ, and I've won each time in the games that I've played. So I'm on a hot streak and this team, I think, should continue that for me. Well, for me, I'm I'm gonna go double uh, double stack here, and really, let's let's talk about the goal of of doing something like that. If you're gonna stack lines, you're playing for the big prize, right? In your GPP, it's not necessarily the best strategy for cash games. So I'm in the NHL official, the four dollar forty four cent, trying to win that five thousand uh, bucks at the top there. And so to that end, uh, I'm gonna stack. The Columbus first line, so you're looking at Pierre-Luc Dubois for 5700 uh, Alex Texier for 3800 and Cam Atkinson at 7100 That's been a, a good producing line. I expect them to continue to do so. The thing I love most about it is that you can get Texier, a guy at 3800 uh, for really cheap and, and really uh, hope he just picks up uh, a point along the way. And then the other line I'm going to stack is going to be the Golden Knights top line. You know, I know we haven't seen Patch already, um, but like I said, it sounds like there's no limitations. The other nice part is uh, all three of these guys should factor in on the power play. So that's Willie Carlson uh, at 6,100, Patch at 7,600, and Mark Stone at 7,300. And usually when you have to pay up for that, I get some blue liners that I don't particularly care for sometimes, or I, you know, I'm just taking a, a risk on those. I actually really like the two guys I got tonight. You can get Miro Heiskanen in for Dallas at 4,800. He's had a great playoffs. And then Nate Schmidt at 4,700. Look, two guys, power play contributors that have produced. Um, and then in the Nets is where I'm going to save a little bit of money. Um, you know, Robin Leonard is is certainly a, an intriguing call, but 8,300, a little bit rich for what I'm trying to do with the rest of the lineup. So I'm going to agree with the optimizer here and go Peter Morazic. Uh, and hopefully, you know, a, a, a short, uh, you know, shutout uh, performance uh, by him. All right. So that's our thoughts on the opening round of games, AJ. And we uh, are looking forward to this set to see if their upsets will continue. I think we're expecting some. But uh, what are your final thoughts as we uh, envision the first of four rounds of playoffs? Well, it's just exciting to be in, you know, a, you know, first round, second round, whatever you want to call it. You know, we had eight team or we had eight teams going in competitive games before, and we still have eight teams uh, on each side going in competitive games. So, you know, we got a little bit of bonus uh, playoff hockey there with the 20 team, 24 team format. Didn't work out for our clubs. Uh, 
in those series or last night. Neither one of us got the over first overall pick either. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's on to next season for us. But in the meantime, we've got some awesome games to watch and plenty of hockey still left over the next couple of months. Yeah, you make a great point. In, in the normal playoff year, we get the first round is the most exciting round of the playoffs for me. But now we've got two rounds in a row that can qualify that way. And before things get uh, filtered down to eight or four or even two teams i love the round of 16 and we were afforded that opportunity twice so for me we're living on uh, on a bonus here uh, that's <laughs> unprecedented and i hope that it's a precursor to the way playoffs are done in the future i'll say that aj in any case that wraps up this episode of podcast with statsman and aj Listen carefully, folks. Our next episode is tentatively scheduled to take place the day before the next round begins. So it won't be next Tuesday necessarily. So we'll get a bit of a break, but we want to see the round play out and give you a full preview of the subsequent round, uh, the round of eight teams that will uh, proceed after this one. So enjoy the hockey. We certainly will. But in the meantime, please remember to send your comments or questions on Twitter. Follow me, Paul Bruno, at Statsman22, and you can follow AJ at AJScholes24. As always, we invite you to listen into podcasts to get our tips to stay out of the competition in your fantasy hockey planning and research. So long, everybody.